Welcome to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Umbreen Khan. This week, we're tuning in to one of my favorite specials from our chaplaincy series. It was supported by the Arthur Vinings Davis Foundation. It's guest hosted by producer Ruth Morris. And it first aired in 2017. Yes, a pre-COVID world. But I believe the lessons in this episode on finding ways to cope, grieve, and renew one's spirit are especially relevant right now. And this episode is a reminder that chaplains are uniquely trained to help in times of crisis. They are spiritual first responders. The chaplain is really there just for the person. And how rare is it in a human being's life to have somebody who is there to attend just to you? It's clear to me it's something I enjoy, and I really believe it's radical work. Every funeral allows me to rethink how I live my life. I think one of the most important things I've learned is that people are becoming who they are every single day of their lives. That development doesn't stop. Chaplains are spiritual counselors who minister to people of any faith, or no faith at all. Not in churches or temples, but in hospitals, in prisons, in life's fragile little corners. This episode, we meet a chaplain who's doing the Zen thing. My name is Koshin Paley Ellison. I'm the co-founder of the New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care. Koshin is one of a small but growing number of chaplains in the United States who are Buddhists. In fact, he's a Buddhist monk. He works in hospice, and his goal is to take Zen Buddhism out into the world and change the very nature of caregiving itself. We sent two producers to tag along with Koshin on his daily rounds, Kalalia and Will Coley. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. How you doing? I'm good. So, you guys, I wanted to ask you just about what it's like spending time with Koshin. He's been described to me as enlightened. So maybe that's a tall order, but what's he like? He's just very approachable and open and loving and playful. So it was a really good good time. Yeah, and it was for me it was really like an opportunity to ask a Zen Buddhist monk, you know, all the things that I've wondered when I see them in their robes in the street. So things like do you curse? <laughs> yeah, he was really fun about it. I remember you know, when I asked him if he cursed, he was like, What do you mean fuck that shit? <laughs> but he doesn't. He does it too often. I don't I don't I can't see him really cursing that much, but he, he definitely demonstrated. And I ask him, does he dance? Do you do drugs? Can you eat cake? <laughs> Can he go to parties? And what did he say? He said definitely dances, goes to parties, even has a little wine here and there. It's just that not to like overindulge. Well, my question is kind of about doing the Zen thing in New York City, because when I think of Zen Buddhism, I think stillness, quiet reflection. And when I think about New York City, I think loud, brash, noisy, fast. Yeah. And he, he told us this great story about when he was a kid that he saw this image in a National Geographic magazine. This one was about Tokyo. I remember turning the page and seeing this photograph where Pretty much all the people were blurry on the city street. 
You know, it was a photo of a, a Zen Buddhist monk on a street with everyone rushing around him and everyone was blurred except for him. This man completely still in Buddhist robes and wearing this large hat where you could just see his mouth and he had a slight smile. And Koshin looked at it and immediately knew that that's what he wanted to do, that he wanted to be a Zen Buddhist monk. I remember reading the caption, it said, Zen Buddhist monk. Wow. It's not like superhero. It felt like a superhero, actually, but like an ordinary superhero. You know, like being able to be completely still in the midst of things. He also didn't feel separate. You know, he felt part of the scene. And and to me, like that image, you know, is still the image, you know, in our work at the bedside is the image of healing, about learning how to be still in the midst of things. When everything is, we're feeling jostled by the joys and sorrows of life. You know, it's the famous saying is that the small retreat is in the mountains, the great retreat is disappearing in the capital. We're going to the Goodman Brown residence, which is a hospice residence on the Upper East Side of Manhattan that we've been partnered with for 10 years. Koshin starts the day with a visit to Ronnie, a long-term hospice patient. It's raining outside, and Koshin's wearing a traditional black robe under a long trench coat. You know, the kind that many monks wear. He has a bald head and a playful smile. This kind of care is being open to what's happening. For example, Ronnie, who we're going to see today, you know, I've seen him many times, but I can't assume that he is like all those other times. You can just drop us right here. You keeping it real, Ronnie? Oh, yeah. Have a seat, make yourselves at There are only eight rooms in this hospice center, but Ronnie Getter is known as the mayor. When we walk in, he stops playing a video game. The first thing I notice about Ronnie is the tubes across his face that are attached to a large oxygen tank on the floor next to his bed. Ronnie's body is really thin and frail, but he lights up when he sees Koshin. That's a new photo, Ronnie. Who's that? That one. I don't remember that. Yeah, one of my dear, made yeah. my friend Victor. Yeah. Victor before. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Koshin yeah. asked Ronnie if he's been doing any meditation. I meditate by myself a lot. How long do you meditate for? 12 hours? <laughs> uh, 30 minutes at a time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Uh, maybe, like you said, about yeah. an hour or so. Yeah. But you can find out when you meditate, you can find out a lot of things about your body that you didn't know before. You know? That's definitely true. So what are you learning, Ronnie? Well, what I'm learning? How to be strong. Yeah. And keep loving people like I do. It's amazing that like you have yeah. to be at the end of your life and right? until and, you and get that. Things get so beautiful, like yeah. the way you wish it was. Uh, you know, a long time ago, it right. should have been this way. My mother always say, it's better late than never. Right. And it was Koshin's grandmother who inspired his chaplaincy work. 
More than 20 years ago, Koshin and his grandma Mamie made a pact to care for one another. Over the years, Koshin took her to doctor's visits, and when it was clear she was dying, Koshin moved into a hospice center to be by her side. One night that kind of changed me forever was she woke me up in the middle of the night. It was probably about two weeks before she died. She said, I never thought I'd say this. There's something to the Zen thing. She said, everyone comes here, even the well-meaning doctors and nurses and social workers and, and even many people who are dear to me, they're so afraid. And they're so inattentive. And she's like, and I just want people to be with me. So in many ways, like what we're doing today comes from those moments with my grandma Mimi. Five years after Koshin's grandmother passed away, Koshin and his husband Chodo opened the doors to the New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care. It's in the heart of Chelsea on West 23rd Street in Manhattan. A few days after we visited Ronnie together, I met Koshin there. The center is in a nondescript commercial building. There's a boarded-up church on one side and a bodega and barber shop on the other. It's up on the fourth floor. And what's that thing by the plant, that big bowl? It's a bell. It's a bell? Yeah. Do you want to hear it? Okay. The center reminds me of a bright loft space with its hardwood floors. Black slippers line the wall. There's a lot to look at, and I can't stop asking questions. Who are they? So they're bodhisattvas, or awakening beings that represent different qualities. So Samantabhadra is the one whose vow is to be awake in the world and through vow. I'm hearing about an entire world of heroes and characters that I know nothing about, kind of like when fans talk about Game of Thrones or sports. So, so these external reminders of the qualities we're working to cultivate in our daily life. So the basic idea is that we're looking to be a compassionate presence with the three aspects or the three tenets of our work, which is not knowing, which is to cultivate a mind that's fresh and so you're not dragging things into the room, and actually be present and bear witness, which is the second aspect. What's alive? What's important? And then the third tenet of loving action is like what you do, the compassionate thing to do, um, to find out what's useful and how they can also tap into their own resources of their own healing and wholeness. The call to be compassionate and useful also brought Koshin and his husband Chodo to the Overlook Medical Center, 25 miles away in Summit, New Jersey. Amazing how quiet it is, isn't it? He's not visiting patients. He's here to see the doctors. Imagine a New York City hospital like this. So quiet. They're already implementing your... your... According to a recent study conducted by the Mayo Clinic, 
Nearly half of all doctors in the U.S. suffer from physical or mental collapse caused by overwork or stress. Koshin believes that taking a more contemplative approach to medicine is a start to curing physician burnout. He says it's better for the doctor and for the patient, too. So I know we're having a few more physicians who are coming, um, but I say we start begin. We're in a small conference room. The tables are pushed aside and everyone sits in a circle. Some of the participants have white coats on. A few rush in after the meeting starts. Lovely to see you all. It's like it's been an age. And uh, so let's just sit upright and just take a moment to feel your feet on the floor. And suddenly, it's like Koshin brought some of the peace from the Zen Center with him. The way he talks casts a spell on everyone in the room. In the chair. You know how we have this kind of next, 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 next thing. And also, like, our patients will feel that. If you're waiting for the next thing and you're with someone, right? You can feel like when someone's preoccupied, what that feels like. At this point, Koshin leads the doctors through an exercise. And just feel the breath in your body. So imagine that you went to another doctor, your doctor, and they let you know that, well, you probably have at most seven years to live. That'll be it. So take care of what you need to take care of in the next seven years. What arises in your mind? What do you feel? What do you need to do? Seven years. So you go to the doctor and they say, well, actually, we were wrong. You have about seven months to live. Seven months to live. What do you feel? Can you take this on? I guess you hear that all the time about physicians being burned out and we're working so hard. I think that courses like this teach you that by being present and mindful, you can be there for your patients without being wiped out emotionally and drained. Um, You can actually be lifted up by your helping them through their experience. I have seven weeks to live, just shy of two months. What shifts seven weeks to live? And then all of a sudden now, it's just like I can breathe a little bit. I'm listening to the patient more. I think I hear them. Um, I don't talk over them anymore. I just let them talk. Seven days. Seven days. There's a saying that says, you know, there's no way to stop growing old. There's no way to prevent illness from coming. 
There's no way to stop my death. My actions are the only ground in which I stand. Not seven days. Seven hours. It's now 6.30. After one in the morning, you'll be dead. What shifts and what becomes clear? This is it. and any kind of exercise that allows us to do that. I think it's not just relevant for patients, um, but particularly relevant for caregivers. That's palliative care doctor Craig Blinderman. We spoke with him from New York about how contemplative care benefits not just patients, but people taking care of them too. It's very easy, you know, I come from a medical background, it's very easy in medicine, you know, with the white coat to separate yourself. I'm not the sick one. I'm not the person who's dying. I'm not the person who's, you know, going through this. You can walk out of the room. You can walk out of the office. Um, And it's this uh, opportunity uh, that Koshin gives us and that this practice gives us to really reflect on ourselves and how similar we all are. So any opportunity we have to do that enhances at least for me, enhances my ability to be able to connect further with the person who's suffering in front of me and not seeing them as so different from myself. We were also joined by Tim Ford, a Buddhist chaplain. When we arrive in a a sacredness of the moment, one of the things people often say is, why didn't I do this sooner? And especially at end of life, I've heard a lot of patients say that. Um, The wisdom that they receive by being present in the midst of a tragedy or in the midst of something really intimately sacred, they then say, I wish I had known to do this before. And as we're training physicians especially, but any providers, I think that piece is very important to push forward, to to just say this isn't just about helping someone at the end of their life. This is about us receiving the wisdom that people have come to because of being at the end of their lives and inviting others to be that present and to feel how sacred the moment can be. This is a rebroadcast of Resilience and Retreat, a special from our Chaplain series. You're listening to Interfaith Voices. Hi, friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed 
to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. (laughs) 